So welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Awful Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, which is The Mummy. And we're here to talk about it with Drew Hawkins. Hello, Drew. How are you? Hey, Josh. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, man. This is, uh, this is a real treat. This is going to be a good time. I know. As soon as that came through, I was like, yeah, this is a conversation that needs to happen. So what was it that made you choose this movie of all the other movies you could have picked? A lot of reasons. One is when I think of the concept of Awesome Awful. This just immediately comes to mind because for me, it's there's so much nostalgia just personally. I watched this movie, I'm not lying, maybe 300 times when I was a kid. Uh, my dad loved it. I have four younger brothers. We all loved it. We quote it often to this day. Like whenever uh, whenever O'Connell holds the cat up and he's like, look what I got. We say that shit all the time. And it's just, you know, the I, I, one, I know it very well. It's fascinating to me. Parts of it have definitely not held up <laughs> as in like recent watching. So there's an interesting grappling with things that I, I appreciated as a kid. And uh, yeah, I'm also in like a bunch of these weird shit posting groups that just kind of keep it alive because it's nice to know that there are other people. And the way you responded, you were like, oh, hell yeah, let's do this. I was like, okay, great. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one who's got this weird love and fascination with this series. And these characters, I think, really is, is, is more, um, more speaks to the point. I love the movie. I love the characters. I, I have some problems with it. I have some weird questions with it. There are things that are unexplained and really just don't make sense. Um, and, you know, from the perspective of a writer, some of it was actually like formative or interesting when I was younger. Uh, some of the simple characterizations and things that we can talk about, but also like the glaring plot lines, the absolute absurdities. The movie is meant to be fun. It's supposed mm -hmm. to have fun. And I don't think it makes any other pretenses ever. And so, you know, if you're willing to just be like, OK, you know what, let's just chill out a little bit, have a good time, then you're probably going to like the movie. Yeah, this, this, I'm glad you said you've seen it over 300 times. Cause I was like, good, I'm not alone because this is like the staple movie. Anytime my wife and I don't know what to watch, it's let's just put on the mummy again because we, yeah. it's just so enjoyable. And it's like you said, it's so quotable. There are so many great lines. I'm sure we're going to get to so many of them. But the second question I have to ask you is, and this might be a tough one because you've seen it so much, but is there a particular scene early on in the movie that really stands out for you as like the moment where you know, hey, we're back in it, we're doing the mummy again? That is tough because boy, that thing, that movie just opens, you know, we're like, it just launches you right into it from the perspective of like young me, who's like, all right, let's run this back. Let's do it from the top. It's like right from the start. We're like, yeah, baby, let's go. But also I think that there's a striking a turn when it's like, okay, settle in. We've established everything. And that's right. Whenever Evie is talking shit about Rick, right. You know, he's a scoundrel. She just saved his ass. And he he comes oh he's not you're not talking about me are you and he's clean shaven and he's and now this is o'connell this is who he is and his, we're gonna have him the rest of the movie strap in buddy you know they, they had some business they had to take care of in the beginning you got to introduce everybody we got to set the scene where we are uh what the history behind you know the egyptian history behind it and then um okay now we're in the movie rick is here he's he's shaved he's dressed let's get going so for me that's like okay now we're the movie has begun 
Yeah, and we, we'll start by talking about Brendan Fraser, Rick O'Connell, who, one of my favorite characters of all time. It, it's funny because I was looking at some, there, you know, there's always these random trivia bits about who could have played the role. Mm. And it's essentially every single A-list or celebrity you would think of. And I, I would be like, just the entertaining the thought of somebody else playing that role makes me angry. Mm. Like, was he not the perfect person for this? Absolutely. This this character is really, really great, but it wouldn't exist. He brought that to life. You know, he has all of the individual traits and talents that uh, just make it shine. You know, on paper, Rick could be considered maybe a little flat, a little uh, maybe unrealistic or, you know, a little absurd and silly at times, especially some of the behaviors that happen. But when it, whenever he does it, you're like, okay, you know, he's like, oh, time to close the door. Yeah, let's throw some dynamite in a, in a tomb right now. And we're all on, but we're on board. Yeah, man, that's great. I'm happy you're doing this. So yeah, I don't think that the character could be O'Connell and no one else could do it. You know, it is Brendan Fraser. It's funny because the director, well, the writer and director, Stephen Summers, he's the first director that has, he's been on the show three times now because we talked about Deep in, or Deep Rising. We talked about The Mummy Returns. Now we're talking about The Mummy, which is obviously his crowning achievement. Well, this is a, basically a Steve Summers fan show, basically. It really <laughs> is. No, what it actually is is a Kevin J. O'Connor fan show, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> fair, fair. But Stephen, Stephen Summers has this brand of movies. So essentially it's always the same general idea, but The Mummy was really the one that, that worked. It just worked so well. And Another little interesting bit of trivia was, according to Stephen Summers, which they add that as like a caveat as no one else has verified this, but according to him, Universal phoned him the morning after The Mummy was released and said, we need another one, which obviously led to The Mummy Returns mm. and that history, which you can find in another episode of The Awesome Awful. But why did this one work so well where the other ones didn't? There's a lot of reasons, right? It was, it was kind of original. It has so many different things that are going on. We've got supernatural, we've got romance, we've got comedy. It's set in a specific time and place. We've got like jump scares, character development, for lack of a better word. We're talking, this movie's over 20 years old, right? So we've got mm -hmm. exoticism. Even though it's really not a remake, it, there is an original mummy. So there's some cinematic history there. I think that the fact that they wanted more of them speaks to the fact just kind of is a, an example that it was successful, right? Because it was so good that they wanted it that quickly. And this happens so many other times. I mean, you've got like Hangover and, you know, other movies where they, they bang out some sequels to just suck out as much money as they can. People like us probably don't love that idea. Although I don't know if I'm going to hundred percent say that the other ones were failures. Yeah. I, I can accept that they weren't as good, but have I watched them many times? Yes. <laughs> have, I, have I enjoyed them? Yes, definitely. Have I like recently looked at the CGI of the Scorpion King just to be like, wow, what a time. <laughs> what, a, what a time to be alive that was. Yes, probably within the past couple of weeks I've done that. But, you know, really it's just the originality of it. Even though, you know, you can, you know, Stephen Summers has similar types of concepts. There's a lot of things that are going on in this movie that just strike a nerve and make it fun throughout the viewing. That definitely resonated with people. I mean, we're sitting here talking about an obscure B movie that's over 20 years old. And we're both very pumped about this. See, I would offer a counter argument and say what went wrong is that they killed Benny in the first one. Because Benny, uh, if you've not heard me praise Kevin J. O'Connor and any of the other shows of The Awesome Awful, his characters are so good. He essentially plays the same character. And I, I say this with the knowledge of all two of his characters that I know. Mm. It's such a good character. And, you know, in The Mummy, and this was some some random trivia from Deep Rising as well, which is that Kevin J. O'Connor ad-libs a lot of his lines mm. and Stephen Summers loves it, which is why he keeps casting him. 
And one of my favorite parts, Benny looks at, at O'Connell and says, think of my kids. Mm -hmm. And O'Connell says, you don't have kids. And he says, well, I could. Yeah. That was all ad-libbed. And I'm yeah. like, this, this is so That's great. great. Like, I, I didn't know that was ad-libbed. That's a great line, but I did not know that was ad-libbed. I had mentioned as a writer watching this as a kid, because it's so surface and pretty straightforward and the characters, they embody, they are pretty simple tropes, right? But in my first viewing, that was interesting to me, especially Benny, specifically the scene where Emotep is walking him down and like he just encountered him. And so he's pulling out all the necklaces. And I remembered very vividly being like, oh, wow, this guy stands for absolutely nothing. You know, mm -hmm. you know, he has everything on here and will say and do whatever it takes to get out of that. At the very end, O'Connell, still reaches back to offer a hand to help him after all mm -hmm. of this that's happened. That's O'Connell, right? That's yeah. what he would do. That was just a fascinating thing for me to first encounter that every little bit of a character can speak to the testament of that character. All these tiny actions, these tiny things they say and do create this cohesive concept of a person. Benny's person is not a good person, but he's, he's consistent. <laughs> yeah, know? examining this as a writer, the chemistry between O'Connell and Benny, because mm -hmm. no matter how much Benny screws over O'Connell, O'Connell's still willing to just have a conversation with him because, right. and it's fascinating because he goes from, you know, another great scene where he chucks a chair at Benny and hits him in the back and knocks yeah. him down. Like yeah. he goes from that, but then, you know, he's shooting the shit with him around the fire just a few scenes earlier. Like it's, it's sort of a great introduction to character complexity Mm -hmm. where not everybody is strictly good or bad. Mm -hmm. Not every, there, there's so much middle ground for both of these characters. And they, sometimes that middle ground finds each other and it, it makes for really good storytelling. Uh, another little bit of trivia, since I brought up the, the scene where Benny gets hit by the chair, I guess that scene was so, he got beat up so bad in that scene that he had so many bruises and he had to have his nipples iced. I mean, he is slamming the shit out of him, you know? <laughs> Uh, but even then, like to speak to what you were saying, he's slamming around and having this playful kind of, oh, come on, Benny. You brought a different friend home but from the desert, didn't you, Benny? <laughs> you, you just, you you might be concussed. <laughs> You're really hurting this man. I'll get off of my Benny high horse now, though I can't promise I'll stay off of it. But No, I hope he comes back, just as he always does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's very right. Benny-like. Except for The Mummy too. I really wanted him to be in The Mummy Returns, but he didn't. He died. But anyways, it wouldn't be a conversation about The Mummy if we didn't touch very early on on the Scarab Beetles. I understand that they're not real, but every time I see these, I don't think it ever gets easier to see them eat people from the inside out. Does it for you? No. In fact, of all the CGI's involved here, this one holds up. Very unsettling. It's it's always been unsettling. And you know, part of my relationship with this movie is that I am not able to freely watch it anymore. I have two young kids. They're a little too young for it. We've got jobs. It's it's hard to find the time to watch this movie by myself or to like suggest this as the free moment we have to watch it. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason is because those scarab beetles are terrifying. Um, you know, Emotep's scary when he pops out and you know when his jaw unhinges. Like, sure, that's pretty that's pretty freaky. But those scarab beetles stuck with me all this time. I think about it often, even when I'm not even thinking about the mummy. The idea mm -hmm. of like having a, something crawling around inside of you is just horrific yeah and what i always remind myself is they haven't discovered every species out there so these could mm. still exist which is now, you just know, so reassuring i do have to admit that i've never seen the 30s original the 1930s one have you i have not no so i wonder if that's from there as well because if not then that's that's summer striking again you know with, with just gold as he does as he does mm. like you said the mummy brings his own fear this is emotep brings his mm -hmm. own fear but 
really, I mean, I'm sorry, but the scarabs are the worst part of that. I, I, I don't, I don't think that anything else in that movie carries the fear that they do. I think I have to agree. And they, I don't think that the writers of the film would probably disagree with you as well, because they, you know, when they're punishing Emotep, they put him in, they entomb him and they throw him, they bury him in scarab beetles. You know, that's like their fear, even within the world of the movie, they're terrifying. And unfairly, that's how Benny meets his end too. So uh, here I am yeah. back on the Benny soapbox. Did Benny deserve that death? I don't think he deserved that death. I would have liked to have Benny just be stuck in there. I think that the Beatles were a little maybe too easy for him. I can love the character Benny while hating Benny himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I would have liked to have him just stay in there and die with the gold. Yeah, and he can't even see the gold because it's dark. There's something exactly. so appropriate about that. Sure, but, Okay, sure. I'm shutting up about Benny again. So I want to get into some of the things that maybe, I mean, obviously we love this movie, but there are some things that are question marks in the movie. You brought up the cat. So I want to start there. If you have this cat and you know the mummy is afraid of this cat, why would you not just carry the cat wherever you go? You, multiple. Why are, we, why are we talking one cat? A kitty carrier in each arm. Really simple to me. <laughs> you've, you've, you have discovered the one thing that keeps this terrifying entity away. And you just like casually look for one when you see him. You don't have one on hand. You don't have a cat on hand, really? Yeah, and I have to imagine if it works on one mummy, wouldn't it work on all the other mummies you're going to fight too? So like you said, just bring a bunch of cats mm -hmm. and you're fine. That, that's really all you need. Another, another thing that I always find so funny about this movie is the way they, they time character death, like plot armor versus not plot armor. Is there any part of this movie that surprised you? I mean, it, this might be hard to ask because going back to like the first viewing, did any part of it surprise you? Yeah, when our death comes back, I, uh, you know, I thought that was the end of it. And Godspeed, good man. We love you. Thanks so much for everything you've done. You complicated relationship with him throughout the movie. And then come to find out that he's probably, to be honest, he's probably my favorite character. Mm -hmm. um, I love, you know, I love O'Connell, but our death is like mis misunderstood, misrepresented from the beginning and has dedicated his, his life, his parents' life. Everyone in his, in his world is revolved around fighting Emotep, who they haven't even seen in 3000 years. And so when he, you know, charges at them, you know, wantonly, like just to, to just buy them more time, when he pops back up at the end, that's still like very satisfying moment. And I also loved him in The Mummy Returns too, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and big ups to him because literally O'Connell is the reason why Ardith nearly dies so many times and he yeah. keeps helping him. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, he's helping the whole world, but he, he has to put aside his differences with O'Connell to help him, mm -hmm. which there's something very admirable about that. And I will say, because I, I came equipped with so much movie trivia, that Steven Summers had intended for Ardith to die, mm -hmm. but when running the movie, he thought that he was too heroic and, and brought him back at the end to let him live. So props to Steven Summers. He understood something needed to He's happen. He's got the instinct, you know? He, He's, he knows. The dude knows how to make great, terrible films. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I have to mention, because I think I've mentioned this on about four different episodes already, just random talks about stunts people. But I don't know if you've noticed when, when Evie... Uh, is on the ladder in the library mm. with, when they swap her out for the stunts for the stunts person. It, it's a very, it's a quick moment. It's probably less than a second, but in that less than a second, once you see it, you can't unsee it. The person on top of the ladder has a shadow beard. No, so it's, okay. It's clearly not Evie That's anymore. like space balls, you know, with exactly. the stunt doubles. No, no, I hadn't noticed that. But and, I did I did know that uh, Brendan Fraser, they didn't use a stunt double 
for him oh, when I he didn't was know hung. That. Yeah, so he oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he was actually strangling in that noose for a bit. Seriously, yeah, I remember reading about that because Rachel Weiss said that he had to be resuscitated because he had he almost yeah. died from that hanging yeah. scene, which is maybe that's why it was such a good scene. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he put his heart and soul into it, yeah, <laughs> right. and his larynx. Yeah. Like. On my most recent viewing, which I was able to run through it again yesterday, actually, and it's been a while since I've given it the proper kind of treatment. You know, I don't know if this is me being you know, 31 now, or if maybe just the culture has changed a little bit, but I grew up in the South, so I know guns, but Jesus Christ. To me, just, uh, I know that the world that this exists in, there are mummies and beetles that eat you from the inside out, but it's still a little jarring to me that the way, the reaction of to discovering this previously unfound archeological dig site when they come across the, you know, the city of the dead, they're walking through it like strapped. It's very much in O'Connell's character, but, Archaeologists, I don't think, are like turning the corners like akimbo pistols out like that. <laughs> like, and just like how it's just guns are just a solution to every single thing in this movie. He pops the scarab out of Jonathan, pulls out a pistol and just drops it right there. It's just right. this is a this is very much like a product of its time. You know, this is American culture of 20 years ago, I think. You know what I mean? I was going to say, I could be wrong. I, I feel like that's the movie making a statement about Americans because the, the, sure. the most gun-toting ones there are O'Connell. And I get why O'Connell does, because he knows what's here. So I get why he's strapped. But then, like, the other three Americans are very cowboyish. Yeah. And then I feel like that's that's what this movie is doing. It's, and Jonathan even says, oh, Americans. Yeah, like, when they're on the boat blasting away. Yeah, right. exactly. And then I have to bring up, this was my favorite bit of movie trivia because it, I'm never going to see this scene the same again. So there's a scene when Emotep is raising the sandstorm in the desert and they had uh, engines that were blowing the sand up. They had mm. to cut that scene a little short because one of the wind turbines blew his clothes he was wearing. It blew it up. So it exposed his naked ass, which <laughs> I wish I could see the cut. I wish they would leave that in. That's great. Yeah. And don't even yeah. draw attention to it. Just have no, it don't reference it. Going. Just <laughs> just continue. You know? One thing I did want to mention is, you know, the film critic, Roger Ebert, the way he described the film, I think feels really good. He said, there's hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I can't argue. And I can't argue for the scripts, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy. But I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There's a little immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of all of us, and we should treasure that. And I think that's true. I think that, <laughs> you know. I hope that Stephen Summers has that on a poster in his office somewhere, because that's like the definition of every Stephen Summers film. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good time. And if you're okay with like, there, you know, there's always a little bit of suspension of disbelief, I think, but it calls for a little bit more you know, here. And if you're, if you're willing to do that, then you're going to have a good time. There's really not a way not to. So I mentioned a shit posting group earlier, um, but there's, there's a bunch of them out there, but one of really good ones called Mimo tips, uh, mummy memes. And these, you know, these are people just putting out original content that is so hyper-specific, but damn, is it, if it isn't good. And um, I reached out to them. I just, you know, asked if people to drop some of their favorite bits of trivia or things that, make it near and dear to their heart. Cause I think that we all have maybe an individual relationship with this movie based on where we saw it, who we saw it with, what we thought about it, that kind of thing. A couple of them were interesting. There's one woman named Lauren who is an archeologist. And she wrote that as an archeologist, I can say we all love the mummy. We love to hate Indiana Jones because even though the movies are fun adventure stories that we do enjoy, he also represents everything we hate. He's basically a looter with tenure. 
And we love to love the mummy because it's an adventure story where the protagonist actually captures the essence of why we got into archaeology, which is discovery, curiosity, a sense of wonder about the past and its people. Evie gets it. She gets how cool the past is like we all do. She's super into books like we are. She gets shit-faced around a campfire with her digmates, just like we do. It's not uncommon for archaeological societies or even workplaces to have movie nights where we all get drunk and watch archaeology movies. Without fail, Indiana Jones incites mockery and popcorn throwing. The mummy cues us all to say stuff like, this is what got me into archaeology as a kid, or why the fuck don't I accidentally summon a hot dead guy on a dig? I did promise someone uh, named Devin that I would bring up and mention Jonathan, and I know that Again, we can go on and on and on and on. We've touched on Jonathan, but boy, what a, what a great character he really is. He's so complex and so simple and so silly and so heroic. He does so many things and it's just, he's just nothing but fun. He never has any misrepresentation. Like he is who he's presented who he is throughout. And he, he just does such a great job of making you feel good as a viewer, <laughs> you know, as a watcher. Like, And one last person is a guy named Cal. So I did this post calling for people to ask for stuff, right? And very, very straightforwardly, he says, just say it's good because describing it will be too long. He's so right. You know, what am I supposed to say to that? I thought it was an interesting sort of follow-up to your, your episode on The Mummy Returns with Mo, where Mo talked about as a kid wanting to be an archaeologist and then looking into it and the historical inaccuracies and kind of laughing it off or, or having real problems with it. But I think mostly in fun, like that's a little ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting from an, you know, from an archaeologist perspective saying, yeah, it's trash, but we love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Indiana Jones is trash, but it's offensive. This is trash and we're having a good time, you know? Um, yeah. It's interesting to hear it contrasted against Indiana Jones like that. Like that, that yeah. that's a really neat perspective to hear from. So then last question is, tell me what you're writing. What are you working on these days? Anything to promote? Anything to, to show oh, yeah. out there? Yeah. So um, I and uh, my wife and I, Dylan and I run a podcast called Micro, where we, um, we feature short fiction, creative nonfiction, poetry, uh, and experimental writing that is um, short and sweet to the point, three minutes or less a piece. And we have the writer read the uh, piece. And I give a little bit of intro and um, we have some, you know, some transition music, stuff like that. But each episode, kind of like yours, where it clocks in pretty short and sweet, 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we're on break right now, but we've got some great stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. So we'll have our season two. We'll be launching sometime in, um, in August. We're very excited about that. We've got some great people coming in. We've got, got Amy Bender uh, episode with her. We've got Robert Olin Butler coming back on it. Uh, and a lot of really great emerging people, which is really the focus of the show, where we want to just feature some of the, I mean, you, you're in this world. The, the stuff that these the people are doing out there is just really, really fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and all these great little literary journals who are, uh, it's all, these are all labors of love and they are doing really cool stuff that I think is furthering the art and just, you know, as, as myself, as a, uh, personally, as a writer, it's kind of like inspiring and interesting to see what people are pulling off out there. Um, so the idea of the show is just putting uh, another, a bit of a little, maybe expanding the spotlight on, on these pieces. So that's, that's kind of what the main thing we're working on. Uh, we are both writing. My, uh, Dylan is finishing her first novel. So she'll have that coming out and I am kind of doing some stuff here and there. I've got some journalism pieces coming out and I have been using this, this break to really get back into writing flash that I love, which is what I love to do. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't super pay the bills, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, looking, looking forward to having some micros and some maybe a little bit longer flash stuff come out. A lot of, a lot of my stuff usually involves either pop culture like the mummy. 
mm-hmm. which I had a piece and had for, or a lot of Southern the- uh, theme stuff, kind of a one trick pony. Maybe like maybe a little bit of Stephen Summers myself in there, you know, get a little uh, <laughs> where like you can you can spot that it's mine. I like to think, and you can spot that it's his, you know. But hey, once you have your brand, embrace it, right? Yeah, that's, man. that's what it uh, is. If I can make anyone feel half as good as Steven Summers can make someone <laughs> that, based on the art they make, then I will I will have succeeded. Yeah, and we'll we'll include I'm glad you brought up the headpiece again. We'll include that in the show notes so people can see it because it is very mummy related. And then uh, last question, micro, are you open for subs or when do you open for subs again? Yeah, so we are open pretty much all the time, but we only are accepting previously uh, published work because we want to also spotlight the press that is doing it. You can go to our website and we have a contact page there and you can send us a link to, you know, you can send multiple pieces, but I would say try to find one or one or two that you really feel fits the format of the show, which are generally takes three minutes or less to read uh, and one that you think would be a lot of fun that you just really want to read. Send us a link to it. And uh, Dylan and I will cons- we'll take a look at them all. We coll- collect them all in a place. And um, if we don't accept your piece, that's please do submit again in the future. And we're, we're trying to, you know, as we're putting together new shows, we're considering all the pieces that people have submitted. So yes, if you're listening right now and you've got a short micro or you've got a short, because we've been doing a lot of poetry as well, please do send it in. We'd, we'd love to consider it. We'd love to read your work. Uh, our only stipulations is that it's previously published. And generally most of the, the smaller presses out there are doing, um, the rights are uh, referred to the author. So there's really no, no issue um, with that as well. But if you are from the Paris Review and you're trying to send us your work, you may want to, you know, uh, check with them first. Uh, <laughs> check with, you know, check with uh, the New Yorker before you uh, nominate your work. But if they're cool with it, hey, we'll we'll consider it for sure. All right. So to all of our listeners, this has been another episode of the Awesome Awful Podcast presented by The Daily Drunk. And we will see you next time. <laughs>